Welcome to this week's From the Lighthouse podcast. I'm Michelle Hamadash, and today I'm joined in the studio by Diana Plater, journalist, travel writer, playwright, and most recently, novelist. Diana's here to talk about her newly released novel, Whale Rock, available both as a paperback from The Moss Shop as well as an ebook from Amazon, downloadable via Kindle. Welcome, Diana. Thank you, Michelle. Whale Rock won the Global Ebook Gold Medal for Popular Literature and primarily tells the story of Vesna and Shannon, women negotiating their place in an Australian culture that privileges women who are young and beautiful, or at least fertile and fit. Described by Alejandro Perez, Chilean poet, as provocative, stormy and sensual, Whale Rock knits together the lives of characters from a multitude of backgrounds as varied as Nicaraguan, Serbian and Lebanese. That is a proper snapshot of Sydney. Shannon, one of the main characters, begins a friendship with an Indigenous elder Colin, while her ex-husband strengthens his Serbian roots through his affair with Vesna, a journalist whose traumatic experiences covering the Kosovo War still haunt her. Diana, can you tell me how Whale Rock began? I guess it began um, through my own experience. Um, between my two children, I had two stillbirths, and... Uh, wanting to find out why that happened and wanting to make sure I had a, another child. Um, I ended up writing a book called Taking Control, which is a guide for um, for anyone who's had pregnancy problems and um, you know wants to have a successful pregnancy. Um, and around that time I used to, I lived in near Tamarama. I used to go down to this rock, what, what I call whale rock, um, which is an engraving of a whale with a baby whale inside it. And it's um, I'm not sure, I really don't know, but I believe it's to do with the path of the whales going from Antarctica to Queensland um, in the in winter to give birth. And I used to talk to the whale and, and talk to the baby whale and uh, I started to think, oh, that would make an interesting character. And I came up with the character of Shannon who has had a stillbirth and um, is going through a lot of grief and has split up with her husband, Tom, and who... And her little boy, Maxie, has, is living most of the time with her husband, her ex-husband, Tom. So that was the beginnings of the story. Um, and, of <coughs> course, you've done so much non-fiction writing, primarily sort of journalism and, and, and travel writing. So how, yes. how different was it to approach fiction uh, coming from such a strong non-fiction background? It was difficult. I actually started it as a play. Um, I'd written another play, Havana Harlem, and I really enjoyed doing dialogue. Um, and I imagined it as a play. And then I thought, no, I'm going to really try and work this up as a novel, um, see if I can do it. <laughs> and I've written um, one book was a um, was nonfiction memoir called Raging Partners that I wrote with my really good friend Ollie Smith. And there's a lot of descriptive writing in that as well. It's kind of um, faction or something, as they call it these days. Um, but... Um, so I'd had that sort of experience, but
but it was in, it was difficult. It wasn't easy. <laughs> There's a very rich cast of characters uh, in Whale Rock, uh, and and one of the things that struck me right from the beginning was the way that you very seamlessly took up the perspective of each of those characters, writing from the perspective of of Colin, the Indigenous elder and builder, from yeah. Raphael, the Nicaraguan uh, sort of illegal migrant um, revolutionary, uh, you know, sort of from, from Shannon Vesna, who uh, a journalist who I imagine perhaps might have had more, uh, you might have shared more of a history with, um, you know, just in, in, in a, a really uh, sort of rich cast of, of, of characters. Can, can you tell me a little bit about that process and the thought behind the thought behind uh, sort of taking a multi-perspectival approach, uh, especially because in today's uh, sort of literary climate, uh, there's a very heavy sort of um, leaning towards a single character, following a single character from you know sort of start to finish. Um, I was I was particularly struck by your uh, approach. Yeah, well, I've, I really enjoy um, films that have different. Um, narratives and different um, points of view and ones that come together there's you know they, they, they became quite fashionable about 10 15 years ago and I love those films um, 21 grams and films like that um, so I was interested in trying to do that sort of thing um, I didn't think I could tell this story with only one main character it needed all those other ones and also because it's not just a story that's set in Sydney today it's also a story that's set in Nicaragua back in the 80s when I was when I worked there as a journalist during this um, during the war against the Contras and um, it began I mean there was the perspective of Shannon and Shannon's pregnancy loss but it's also the story of Raphael who um, was a former soldier and then became a cameraman and worked with an American journalist um, on a story where they tried to find this military hospital that was um, treating soldiers for post-traumatic stress disorder and it sounds very complicated but that forms the backstory of the, of the novel told in sort of traumatic flashbacks and uh, so I mean I had to tell that part of the story through him and that needed to be in first person because they're his flashbacks um, and but, but what I was really interested in is what happens in Australia today is we have people from every country in the world many who've who have come here um, through traumatic situations, many who have come from war or conflicts, what happens with them? People keep those stories to themselves on the whole. I mean, there's, there's some really interesting theatre and writing that's coming out now and, and also with Aboriginal people, some fantastic writing coming out now. But for a long time, those stories were really kept close and most people wouldn't even know if you met someone down the road, you know, what this person has been through. Has he been tortured and so on? And so Raphael is a character who's kept that. He doesn't tell anybody for the whole time he's here why, you know, what ha what his backstory is, what really happened to him. And what I wanted to know is, with people who have had trauma in their lives, can they form a relationship that works? Can someone like Shannon, who's a totally different background, meet someone like Raphael and can, you know, and fall in love? But is it going to work? That's what I'm interested in. Look, and, and I think, um, you know, one of the things that makes Whale Rock so rich is that you do bring to the novel an enormous wealth of experiences and I think also I mean I imagine research 
Um, yes. Can, <laughs> can, can you tell it? Can you tell <laughs> us a little bit about you know sort of I guess the, the experiences that perhaps came from your lived experience, the the, the uh, insights that came from you know sort of I guess travel, living abroad, uh, and the tra- the stuff that might have been more sort of straightforward research as well. Um, well, one example is the character of Amani, who's the Lebanese social worker. Um, right after 9-11, um, you know, people were all in shock. And then there was a lot of anti-Muslim feeling. Women wearing hijabs, you know, um, were getting harassed on trains and so on, which I can't believe that still happens today, but it was happening a lot back then. And I really believe it's very, very important for our children to have um, education about um, comparative religion. But my kids went to a state public school and they're all pushed off into their little scripture classes, you know, and I think this is really wrong in today's education yeah, I've, system. I've, I've, had, I've had a similar uh, sort of I issues. I can't yeah. believe it. You know, yeah. it's prehistoric, really. But anyway, I talked to the school and I said, you know, how about we have a series of lectures about different religions? And they actually agreed, which was, you know, pretty open-minded of them. And so the first one was two, we invited two women from the Muslim Women's Association and they came down to the school and they gave a lecture. Well, it was not quite didn't end up the way I thought it was going to end up there was a, they actually ended up being harassed by some oh. of the mothers um, oh my goodness it was really partly because of something one of the women said but I still thought they were our guests you know Muslims um, as you know are very hospitable people it was just a disgusting way to treat a guest whatever religion wow. they are yeah. and I was terribly upset about that but when I spoke to the <laughs> when I spoke to the principal you know I just went well, it's awkward material for fiction. <laughs> she gave me a look like, you know, daggers. But afterwards I thought, I'm going to write this. And I yep. wrote it up. And that began the story of Amani and her and her background, where she came from. Because there's, there's no doubt that you tackle, and, and tackle very bravely, some of the most sensitive issues, I think, that circulate in in Australia today. And, um, for example, and, and I think one of the things I was very interested by was that because you've got those multiple perspectives, um, the reader is very much focalised through characters who might hold prejudices. So we have Vesna mm. with her, I think it's a Serbian background yes, too. Serbian. Vesna's Serbian background uh, interviewing Amani who is Lebanese-Australian um, about her essentially Muslim beliefs. And you you sort of are on one hand I found myself growing increasingly uncomfortable by mm. Vesna's perspective but then we have this moment where Amani talks back and says how tired she is of having to answer these same old questions about the hijab as though there is nothing else to talk to a Muslim person about yes and so you know that that's that, I think that's what really fascinated me was your willingness to sit sort of in the limited perspective of the characters and allow other characters to speak back to that which yeah. I, you, you know sort of I think throughout the novel um, really does allow uh, you know sort of a reader to, to experience the full gamut of prejudices which you know yeah. let, let's face that's it life today <laughs> yeah yeah so especially in Australia yeah as much as you sort of want to have that really sort of multicultural um, you know, sort of embraceive, um, I guess, myth. Uh, the, the the lived reality is is much messier than that, isn't it? And and it's really hard to break down um, those those barriers that keep the divisions there. Um, and and I think that novels like yours that are actually uncomfortable in places uh, are, are actually the very means with which you know sort yeah. of a culture begins to imagine itself differently and these sorts of changes that happen because it's it's not easy writing this stuff today no I mean um, I was a bit nervous about it um, uh, 
Vesna um, basically is anti all religion. She's worked in Kosovo. She's seen what religion does. Not that it's necessarily to do with religion. It's to do with all sorts of other things. It's a very complicated situation, what happened in Kosovo. But um, she has seen the outcome, the brutal outcome of it, and is still traumatised from it, although she doesn't really admit it to herself. Um, and that's why she argues with, with um, Amani. Um, Look, um, you know, I, I think in, in terms of that uh, sort of really strong... Um, you know that, that that really strongly held belief that she's completely comfortable in you know sort of laying on Amani who mm. sort of remains fairly implacable um, and I was interested because you've done the drama as well um, obviously the, you know sort of for, for, a, for a conventional sort of novelistic technique it, it is unusual to have the, the sort of the lengthy dialogues taking yes. place yeah. um, and, and yet I sort of think we have to push past these sort of There's traditional experiments in this book yeah, yeah, but, but sort of pushing past um, mm. you know sort of the, the the, the realm of comfort to let you know sort of things be said and characters you know to speak mm. um, because often these conventions are about fashion more than you know sort of being sort of right or wrong superior or inferior techniques and, and I think a lot of the time um, people forget that about novels oh, is yeah. that what we yeah. think about as as you know sort of good writing is often fashionable writing and fashion dates That's um, right, and sometimes yeah. what's being said is actually more important than um, you know sort of the, the literary technique employed to do it. Um, I'm, I'm not sure but I'm pretty sure Dickens does long um, long dialogues sessions. Look, he does, literature he does, is, it is he did, you know, really long descriptions of the marketplace. You know, I remember reading that in um, Oliver Twist and thinking that's probably the best piece of writing I've ever read. I absolutely adore it. You know, like I don't think Dickens worried about what was fashionable. No, no, I doubt and, it. And, and I think, and I think that, I think that's you know, sort of really super important today is that the sorts of the sorts of stories that are uncomfortable to read and uncomfortable and difficult to write are probably the ones that are most essential for getting us past a sort of a pretty stuck. Um, and, you know, sort of in many respects, I, I find it a, a distressing place to be where I, f I do feel as though there's, there's, there's a lot of divisions at place. And, I mean, you address the stolen generation um, in your yeah. novel. Can you, can you tell me about your mot motivations for, for making that such an integral part of this story? Well, that's something I do know a reasonable amount about because um, for, for 10 years I worked for the Sorry Day Committee as their PR person um, on, you know, on a contract basis. It wasn't a full-time job. And I've also got lots and lots of Aboriginal friends and many of them are stolen generations or their parents were, um, or their grandparents. Um, and I know really firsthand um, what, um, what it meant to them and what their experiences were and how it traumatised their lives. And um, so I really wanted to have a, a character like that and that's why um, I did Colin. And also Colin's a, a loner and someone who... Um, you know, he knows who his relatives are. He knows who he is, you know. But he's looking, trying to find his mum. And fi he's trying to find out what happened to his mother, how she died, what the whole, the whole story of his mother. Um, anyway, part of my work with the Sorry Day Committee was also working for the, with the Kinchula, the boys, the men, who were at the Kinchula Boys' Home. And they just are the most amazing group of men. And they, I mean, they went through hell. Um, but... You know, many of them did survive and they all got normal jobs and they've worked and they've done all sorts of different things in their lives, but they're still holding that, that trauma and that sadness in them. And um, so that's the background to Colin. 
Um, and, you know, up until, you know, maybe 20, 25 years ago, many, many Australians, you know, say, or they really didn't know about the stolen generations until the actual federal government inquiry was held, the Royal Commission. Um, and I just think, I still think it's an area that people need to understand more about. Or also keep in the public eye. Yes. You know, because yeah. it's it's so easy. I, and I think this is what you see a lot of the, the time, the way that, you know, sort of there's a brief flurry of attention. Yeah. And, and then it just it just sort of slips from, from, from you know, sort of the, the, the public eye, which, you know, given the gravity and the extent of the, um, you know, sort of, of, of the... Of the, of the Really, I mean, the atrociousness of yeah, the, yeah. that stolen generation so and the connected. ongoing, and, and of course, it's yeah. the ongoingness of it, isn't it? Because yeah. it hasn't sort of ceased to happen. Oh, no, um, well, apparently, even today, the children are being taken at a much higher rate than they were back in, you know, back in the 50s, which is, you know, appalling. But um, it also, you know, it also really af- affected white people <laughs> or non- non-Indigenous people. Um, and that's why, you know, I wanted to bring in, because Shannon's a country girl, and would it have affected her, bringing in the story of Colin's mum. And um, it also, um, you know, so those homes, those homes such as Bomondary, Kinchula, Kudamundra, you know, they were in white communities. People knew. People yeah. knew. But they just, you know, pretended they didn't know. They took lots and lots of those women went out and worked on worked on farms um, as housekeepers and so on. Well, where did they come from? People knew that. Um, but when I was growing up, my this is my personal memory of it is that um, there was a woman who went who was at um, the Kudamundra Girls Home. She applied for a job with my auntie. She was actually out of the home then. She was in the workforce, but she applied and worked for my auntie and with my cousins. And she was, Amy was probably the first um, Aboriginal person I knew as a, um, you know, as a friend in a way, or someone I knew personally. And many years later, I met her nephew. I ended up working with her nephew at, at SBS. And it all clicked together that, you know, how close our connections really are. It's not something that's, you know, one side and then it's black on one side, white on the other. It's not no, like that. But it's, it's, it's sort of that invisibility, isn't it? And the yeah. way that those threads are sort of either sort of deliberately or unconsciously erased rather than, you know, sort of drawn well, into trying a to, focus. We've tried to erase our black history in Australia. I mean, I believe, I believe that um, Australians, um, well, Australians who have got a, a long history in the country, say fourth or fifth generation or whatever, many, many, many have Aboriginal blood and don't realise it. There's there's a lot of people that were descended from from the first contacts and, you know, just don't know about it today. Yeah, and, and yet the other side of that is, is you know, sort of the, the I think that that sort of um, deliberate forgetting, you know, sort of where where it, it's just it, it, it's 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 never um, it's it's never memorialised, I think, or commemorated no. the way that any you know sort of any it's also survival. Yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, like Aboriginal women who might have married a white man or whatever, or had children to them. Or a lot of the time, it was just, well, you know, you just live as a white person. Anyway, that's a whole other area. I kind of would prefer Indigenous people to talk about that more than me. But um, I think it's fascinating. As a writer, I think it's really interesting. But also the importance of of stories that actually draw together, um, you know, sort of into a weft. 
you know, sort of what what you know, sort of that microcosm of of any area of Australia is. Mm, mm. Um, and we yeah, we live in a fascinating country, really. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's yeah. Look, look, yeah. You don't have to go overseas to find stories. You no, know? no. Um, and of course, there's a very strong feminist thread throughout the novel. Um, you know, sort of one of the things that strikes me is that you know, sort of the, the each of the each of the women um, are, are sort of struggling both with you know, sort of tremendous life challenges, things like you know, sort of miscarriages, um, you know, sort of experiences at war, um, you know, sort of career. I, I mean, Vesner mm. in terms of you know, sort of. Um, age and you know sort of being pushed out by you know sort of young attractive yeah. you know sort of um <laughs> journalists in, in in quotation marks um so these women are fighting as much you know sort of i guess societal norms and prejudices about what, what women need to be and how you sort of negotiate those yes, yeah. um though those norms i mean how do you make sense of um you know sort of your life when you don't fit into what sort of society says you should be like in yeah. terms of having children in terms of you know sort of looking a particular way in terms of being a particular age which is you know yes um, just right. getting on she's 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 beginning to really worry what's going to happen to the rest of her life you know um she really Single. hasn't got she hasn't got any money she ends up living back with her parents which she hates um she has this fling with Tom and things look good for a while um, but the most frustrating part is that she's a bloody good journalist um, but she's stuck doing sub-editing in a news service um, not working in the area she really wants to work and that's why she starts looking into doing other stories on the side to at least sort of keep her journalistic curiosity going um, and I think that's real and I think you know the book I think the book talks a lot about the media world today and what's happened with it and how it's downgraded and how it's just not what it was when I started off as a cadet on the Herald back in the whenever that was a lot back in the late 70s um it's massive changes and it's really you know it's really really sad and it's part of the economics and not understanding the economics and not understanding early enough about um the internet and so on um and so, you know, I wanted to write about that. And also I love writing about newsrooms because <laughs> I've worked so, so much of my, of my life has been working in newsrooms. And um, I love the camaraderie of newsrooms. But, um, yeah, I think um, things aren't all nicey-nicey, you know. That's for sure. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, I think sort of really leaning into that, the way these, these sort of two characters allow you to sort of explore, you know, sort of provides this um, in, incredibly fertile ground for, for sort of thinking about the sorts of stuff that is, is just missing from, mm. from, you know, sort of Australian culture, the Australian landscape, you know, just, yeah. in, just in terms of, I, I guess, you know, sort of perhaps making sense of um, a, a form of almost, um, I, I, guess, I guess it's almost form of alienation isn't it because because mm. those women really can't sort of fit and, and yet they manage to create um sort of very meaningful bonds outside you know sort of the con the conventions I think which was another thing that really struck me yes it's kind of unusual for someone like um um Shannon who's in her late 30s has a friendship with Colin who's in his 60s an Aboriginal man. I did initially and wonder because <laughs> there were a few sort of cues friends. there that, that, yes, that, that it might it might have been Colin not Raphael. Um, no Colin Colin has his eye on Shannon a bit but he knows it's never going to happen. Um, but they're, yeah. they're they're really good friends and um and what they have in common I think is a love of the land, mm. a love of 
of you know, the rock. Australian whale rock, yeah. the significance of that, um, the, the bush. Shannon grew up in a place called the Valley in the book. Um, she's a country girl, but she loves bushwalking. And I think they don't really talk about it at all in the book, but I think that's what actually does draw them together. And also their humour. There's, you know, that sort of Inappropriate self- humour, which was yeah, which yeah. was terrible and wonderful at the same time. <laughs> yeah, because- self-mocking, that sort of thing, you know, taking the mickey out of you. There's an interesting theory that um, Australian humour is based on a mix of Indigenous and Irish and um, parody, you know, taking the mickey, making fun of each other, um, and I really think that's true. I think it's fascinating. I'd love to know, I'd love to read more about that. I don't know whether there's been much written about it. Um, but um, Aboriginal people are the funniest people I know. They are hilarious. Well, yeah, <laughs> but, but also I think that was the other thing that was striking about both Vesna and Shannon is that actually they were quite, um, and you know, this you can hear it even in the terminology, but they were quite loudmouthed and inappropriate. Yes. And I think for, um, you know, sort of that's so essential to, you know, sort of challenging, you, you know, sort of just, um, I, I guess there's those very sort of conservative um, sort of shackles that, that, you know, sort of women are expected. I mean, Shannon's wonderfully foul-mouthed. Um, she says she, she, she drops terrible ones liners that you know you just you know, sort of cringe at um but at the same time you know sort of in in that in shaping her character that way um you know it, it creates space for you know sort of alternative ways of you know sort of being women that, where you're not yeah. sort of minding your p's and q's all oh, the time yeah. which so is so hard on you it makes you so tense when yeah, you have to be like that you know, look, you know? totally. i love it when i'm with really close friends and we can swear like nothing on earth and not worry about anybody else well, precisely <laughs> and, I, and i think you still see that especially in the public sphere where you know there's still that that that, that sort of antiquated notion of decorum about the way mm. that you know sort of women need to speak so in true. particular. Yeah. Um, so look, I mean, the other thing that I was really interested in is the sort of the the, the decisions that went into sort of the ebook publishing and and right. telling us a little bit about the process of, of of publication and and what that was like for you. Well, it was it was pretty difficult. Um, I did try mainstream publishers. All my other books have been published through mainstream publishers. Um, so that's like um, um, Alan All those sorts, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. Um, it's sort of the kind of traditional method of publishing. But today there's this whole other world that's indie publishing, and um, which I prefer to use to self-publish just because it's Oh, it okay, does yeah. actually sound yeah. better yep. when indie, you say no, it no, 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 no. Yeah, it's like indie music. It's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it happens in music. That's yeah. right. And uh, um, there's a massive world there of, of writers just getting their work published themselves. And um, I heard about Indie Mosh, which is a publishing company that's based in the Blue Mountains. And they... Um, don't edit the book, but I'd already worked with editors on it. Um, but it's very high them. copy as well, you know, high high quality copy. You know, just in terms of reading it, I just Thank you know, you. sort of because <laughs> I, I know that some people have had experiences with you know sort of self or you know indie publishing where you get very poor quality. Yes. But this is very high quality. I mean, your yeah. all your years of professional writing yeah, just yeah. Um, it's beautifully. Right. You do yeah. miss things. You know, you find later on you go, oh, I wish I hadn't missed that. But um, on the whole. And on, you know, you've, you find literals in, in books that have been published by yeah. Cachette or whatever. Yep, anyway, yep, yep. but um, the, working with them with the with Ali, um, the cover designer was just a joy, and because I knew exactly what I wanted, and she just picked it up and ran with it. And then they, what they do is they um, they organise the whole thing, um, 
and it's print on demand so they go through a, a company called Ingram Spark that's based in Melbourne you get your book really quickly I've heard from other people that a lot of times you can order a book and it can take more than a month but also that depends on who you well, go through. Well, a month through. isn't that long. I mean, yeah. I, I think even... Yeah. You know, even Amazon month, can yeah, take yeah, that Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, but um, you so do Indie get Mosh is, a, is, is, is Australian local? It's Australian local. Really, really, really high quality. Do they quality. only work with New South Wales or anyone no, from... No, anyone in Australia. And within Australia or is it also sort of... I think with just within Australia, I think. And they, um, they have a website and they have uh, what they call the Mosh Shop, which has all the books on it. And they, it's indiemosh.com or au, I think. I'm not absolutely sure. And um, we'll and provide links to those on the podcast anyway. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, um, you just go to them if you want it, and you, they'll give you a package about how much it's going to cost. And then they'll, um, they'll do the whole thing from go to woe. And then you just keep working with them as you want it. They'll give you a monthly royalty statement. They put the money in your bank account. Um, and is the percentage? Uh, it's, the percentage it's, is something I still haven't figured out. It's book book publishing and percentage, and especially with the GST as well, which shouldn't be on books. Mm, no, <laughs> um, is complicated, but yeah, um, probably better than you would get. If a bit you were, better, I think. A bit better, yeah. but not 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 enormous. Not enormous. I'm not going to give up my day job. <laughs> <laughs> um, which yeah. you know, from the perspective of your readers, um, are everybody's probably glad <laughs> um, that, that you're not going to stop um, with, with, with the writing. And then that then is channeled through Amazon. Is that yes. right? So then, then once the book's done, they basically goes up on apparently 30,000 sites worldwide. So it's available in America, it's available in Holland, it's, you know, in English, you know. Um, but um, people can buy it all over the world, basically. And you're actually currently working on a translation Aren't yes, you into Alejandro, Alejandro um, Perez, who you mentioned earlier, who's this wonderful Chilean poet, is translating it into Spanish, and we're hoping that his publisher um, will publish it in Spanish, and then that opens up, you know, Latin America and Spain, which is just fantastic, especially when the book is set partly in Nicaragua and Central America, um, and he, um, that was a sort of serendipitous meeting as well. I met him in Chile last year, and he's his poetry's. If you look it, up his poetry, it's so great. And it's translated. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I have to really yeah. think about that. I know he sends me translations in English, so I've read it in English and in Spanish. Um, but um, he's also what he's going to do, which is really interesting, is that he wants it to be in, in general Castilian um, for a general audience. You know, he's not going to do it in Chilean Spanish or whatever. But he's going to do a glossary because it, he said to me, "There's a lot of Australian slang in it, and there's he a lot picks of Australian." Up on that. A lot of, for example, he asked me the other day, "Can you give a, a blurb about what Anzac Day is?" So he's going to do a glossary with a glossary and probably end notes with, um, not footnotes because that ruins a novel. But yeah, probably end notes with um, explanations of all these different meanings, um, you know, different terms. Because I think it's something that often Australian writers sort of starting out particularly aren't aware of is just that the English usage between, you know, sort of even um, sort of American English, English, Great yes. Britain, yeah. Australia, actually there is a sort of a, a, a wealth of, difference. of differences that can make it quite hard for um, sort of non-Australian writers, readers to negotiate yeah. those. Which I mean, I didn't even realise how much I had in it until he pointed it out. No, and I, I didn't. I was just, I was thinking. <laughs> 
thinking, <laughs> and particularly because, uh, you know, so many of your characters are from around the world, it isn't a very, you know, it's but not a very typically Australian novel. Have you noticed how people that come to Australia um, often pick up this slang, that's the first thing. I don't know if you've, you know, they're a weird mob. The first thing he yeah. started, you know, he learnt when he got here was all these... Um, Australian slang. Which and I, I feel as though the language has lost some of that richness. Mm. I mean, I, I just think about my father's uh, idiom um, mm. compared to, you know, sort of, or perhaps it's just because I'm in an urban, you know, environment. Yeah. I'm yeah. not, I'm not, but we do do the shortenings a lot, yeah. you know, like Arvo and things like that. We do that a lot. Um, and, you know, and we swear every three words or something. Well, some of my characters do anyway. <laughs> and also, you know, they're, Raphael and, and Colin uh, work work on a building site. You know, nobody watches their language on a building site. I don't no, think. No, no. Um, you know, or even cafes. So um, it is. Yeah, it's, we do have a, a really rich slang. I love it. Yeah. Look, no, no. Um, <laughs> it's not it, always it, used as much as you say, but it's still there. No, yeah. and I, I mean, I do feel like there are sort of um, certain expressions that are going out of use, um, and uh, yeah, just just perhaps that sort of homogenising of English with all of the, uh, you know, sort of the influence of Netflix and um, yes, <laughs> you know, yeah, when American like, expressions come in, you know, you do go on oh, no, a little bit cringy. Yeah. Um, look, Diana, thank you so much for joining us thank today. You. Um, uh, it was such an honour and pleasure. And Whale Rock is an absolute must read. Um, it is available, as Diana said, from the Moss Shop, Smashwords, Apple Books, Amazon, and other online outlets. And we will provide links to those um, on our um, webpage. So that's it from the Lighthouse today. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Diana. Thank you, Michelle. <laughs> and thank you to all of our listeners. And please remember to leave us a review. It makes all the difference.